Welcome everyone to Single Malt Strategy. This is podcast episode number. Insert number here. We're off to a real good start. And we are off to a real good start. Sounds like someone who's done this before. Uh, episode 82? I'd like to welcome my co-host, Finnish Jaeger. Finnish Jaeger, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me on one more time. We were really looking forward to having you back. Unfortunately, we also have Wolfpack345 with us. Welcome, Wolf. Hello. And uh, the historical gamer, Matt. Howdy. Since this is obviously going to be released before the end of 2023... People are really interested in hearing our take on the 2023 games. Yeah, they're on the edge of their seat. Yeah, and they certainly haven't heard anybody do a review of the 2023 games yet. I'm sure none of those have gone out. So no, Not on any of our channels, that's for sure. Yeah, that's exactly right. No, we... <laughs> yeah, that's right. Honor bound. If, if someone posts a video... I might have done a list or two... But let me point out that I recorded that all the way back in 2023, so I've given it a whole year. It's 2024 now. It's still 2023. Oh, it's... No, it's... What are you talking about, Finn? It was 2024. Tortuga said it was 2023. He was making it sound like we were talking before the year was up. Yeah, like, just I, to be I know, clear, yeah, I'm playing along, you know, I, I... I don't want... No, you're just trying to set me up for failure. Be like, oh, he took you for so long No, to you edit. two are just, like, just lagging behind. He's like a comedic genius. What a, what a true co-host. Will you like? shut... The fuck up! Oh my god. <laughs> what is that bit from? What is that bit from? That's really funny. I don't even remember. That's good. I like All right, that. Oh boy. We're going to, we're going to off the rails immediately. Oh my gosh, this is like a train derailment. We're gonna do our top three games. Let's start with uh Wolf on you go first. What was your number three game in twenty twenty three? My number three game. Number three is a tricky one. I mean I got number two and number one. I'm going to, you know what? I'm just going to throw a game out there. Boulder's Gate 3. In no particular order. I know it's not really this, you know, podcast, you know, single malt strategy. I guess Boulder's Gate kind of be considered a strategy game. For sure. It's such a great game, by the way, which I still haven't played. But, I mean, I've I've probably watched about three hours or more on the. Anyway, it's a great game. So I think it, it fits. You know, there's one of those things every now and then those great games come along and it transcends genres. Sure. Like once in a decade. Yeah. Type of deal. I think Boulder's Gate 3 definitely fits in that. Yeah, but it's turn based, right? I mean, it does definitely have strategy elements to it. Like I would say that's a that's a legitimate game for this list, even without the you know fact of how big it was. We have a historical bias, I suppose, with our uh, our gaming. But but yeah, Boulder's Gate 3. Love it. It's great. Been Playing the heck out of it, looking to play some more. Wolf search history is whatever. Cut that. So, Wolf, you get the you you'll have the liberty of choosing who you want to pick on next for their number three. I I'd like to hear uh, the historical gamers number three. So number three on my list. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll say something that may be controversial. I don't know. Tortuga. It's a favorite of Tortugas. I know. Ultimate Admiral uh, Dreadnoughts because it officially came out this year. You're number three. Wait, are you serious? Yeah, that, I, when he said that, I was like, "You're not, you're not serious," but he is. I am one hundred percent serious. And let me, let me. I won't, I won't belabor the point. Ugh. Defend yourself. Defend, <laughs> defend yourself. No, don't, just don't even defend yourself. This is just rock the plank. So here's the thing about ultimate, ultimate Admiral Dreadnought that I think makes it at least worthwhile taking a look at, and I think is more notable in terms of the games that officially came out this year on Steam. You know, obviously, Ultimate Admiral. We've talked about it on this on this podcast a ton, so I won't talk a bunch about it but right it's an it's an it's one of those games like rule the waves where you're a you're a secretary of a navy you run a navy you design ships and you and you 
by them and then fight them in, in, in fictional wars that generate way too frequently to be real, thank God. And, and it definitely has problems. It has a very bad UI. It has a clunky and kind of bloated feeling campaign, which, by the way, Rule the Waves kind of does now, too. And it has not great battle generation or sort of strategic map management of fleets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the reason it is on this list is a game like Rule the Waves is a very... That's a tough sell to anybody who doesn't already know what it is or who isn't really like Wargamer or Wargamer adjacent, right? Like you're trying to sell someone on a game that effectively is a glorified spreadsheet looking game, right? Like it, most of that game looks like you could make it in a complex Excel spreadsheet, and the battles are are not much better. Ultimate Admiral has Kerbal Space Program management elements to its its shipbuilding, which is pretty easy to pick up and kind of fiddle around with. It's not I, I think the holes are not perfect and, and sometimes it feels like you're fighting the system, but overall, like it looks good when you're building ships, and it is pretty easy to build a ship. Matt, can I jump in and just ask you a question though? What what is it about the game that you what gives it number three for you this year? The reason it's on the list is because it came out this year and I've never put it on a list before. It's like a good game, but a number three, I mean... I don't think there were a ton of war games, and that's kind of the direction I built my list on was largely war games. I don't think there were a ton of war games that actually came out this year. There were a lot of strategy games, but there weren't a ton of war games that came out this year, and that's kind of how I built my list. Everybody builds their list differently. Okay. And I felt like if I was trying to talk about games that are war games that came out this year, I don't think you could not talk about this game because I think if you're... Unle- I think this is a game that appeals to people that traditional war games do not. You look at it for a war game, looks pretty. Mechanics... Not too complicated to figure out. Battles look pretty nice. And at the end of the day, I think a lot of what hurts Ultimate Admiral Dreadnoughts when it comes to people's perception of where it should fall on the rankings, I'm not going to say they're not valid criticisms, but I think a lot of them are born from disappointed expectations rather than the game actually being bad. Even though I just said a bunch of stuff about it, that's not great. Like, I think Ultimate Admiral gets penalized because there were a lot of high expectations by folks in the wargaming community that it did not live up to. But if it was released by literally anybody else and it came out of left field and people didn't have expectations about it and it was just released, I think this would have a completely different reception of a game. That's not to say it's flawless, but Rule the Waves isn't flawless either. Rule the Waves has a lot of problems and people adore that game. So Rule the Waves 3 also came out this year. And you're saying, I'm guessing that Rule of Waves 3 was not on your top three. It was not. So you think that Ultimate Admiral Dreadnought is a better game than Rule of Waves 3? I think Rule of Waves 3 is not a meaningful enough improvement over Rule of the Waves 2 to like stand on its own as this is a this is a great game that came out this year. Like I, I play Rule of Waves 3 and I'm just like, okay, they added a bunch of bloat to Rule of Waves 2, which was largely they added bloat to Rule of Waves 1. And so I don't, you know, I don't think Rule the Waves 3 stands alone, whereas Ultimate Admiral... No, I mean, I kind of disagree. I, I mean, Rule the Waves 3, I agree with. Rule the Waves 3, I would not say... It didn't make my top three. It's like kind of an honorable mention only just because I think it's significant that it was released and it, it's not on my top three. And it's obviously just a dominant force on my on my YouTube channel. And it's an iconic game on the, in the, like, Grognardi wargame community. 
But yeah, I don't think I don't think Rule the Waves three made it. Um, Rule the Waves two was good though. I, okay, it was it was good ish because it added carriers and carriers are interesting. They're interesting. I will give you that. I don't necessarily think carriers are very well done in Rule the Waves two, but I oh, will no. give you that. I mean, they added a considerably new mechanic to the game, and they are interesting to fiddle around with. If I but but like I guess where I'm. What I'm trying to say is if Rule the Waves 3 came out today as the first game in the Rule the Waves series, it would absolutely be above Ultimate Admiral. But I don't think Rule the Waves 3 did enough for me just, you know, when compared to Rule the Waves 2 to be like, okay, yes, I'm really excited to play Rule the Waves 3. It does so much new stuff. I think Ultimate Admiral does some stuff that Rule the Waves doesn't do that I find interesting and enjoyable and that I will I will come back to from time to time to play with. And honestly, like if Rule of Waves 3 didn't exist, I don't, there wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't really be that big of a deal to me. I could just go play Rule of Waves 2 and get 99% of, of what Rule of Waves 3 would give me. Well, I do feel like the, the most exciting feature of Rule of Waves 3 is the fact that it's on Steam. Okay, fair, fair. And not through, uh, you know, I like that's how what I see the improvement of Rule of Waves from 2 to 3 and not the uh, the anti-piracy situation they utilized before. That's a good point. And yeah. But if that's not that does not justify a, uh, you know, buying a $40 game over again, essentially. No, but it's it's reminds me of like sports, right? Where like you got a lot of players who are injured all the time and there's there's, you know, a saying that goes around where it's like availability is is, you know, part of what you have to have. To to be a great player right you can you can be the best player in the league when you're healthy but if you're never healthy that doesn't do your team any good that's kind of true about games too right like if you're the best game that's anyone's ever made about this topic but you're hidden away in this tiny little niche frankly as far as most players are concerned that that doesn't matter because they're never going to find you the fact that they do get on steam that is definitely something that is worth talking about because they are now exposed to a far wider potential customer base than they ever have been before oh yeah absolutely i mean even just looking at their steam page now they have like 500 ish reviews that's i don't know that seems like a lot to me for a, a game like this yeah i'm sure they probably only sold a couple thousand when they were on like maybe five six thousand maybe I, I don't know i'm making numbers up i shouldn't but but certainly you know what's the percentage of folks that leave a review too right so minuscule so i'm sure they sold a lot better on on steam you would think than they sold on naval warfare simulations anyway i think that's enough about ultimate admiral that's kind of my logic for putting it on the list well uh finish jaguar all right yeah i'll go next my, so my list is really just three games I like playing the most. It wasn't games that were released in 2023. But my number three game is actually going to be Plate Up. Oh! I don't know if this will make Tortuga's list or not. Probably, I guess maybe not. But I think ma- mainly because I just had so much fun uh, playing multiplayer with Tortuga. Just every night that we played, I had so much fun. The The game is kind of unique in that like when we were losing... And when things were difficult, it was almost like even more fun. It's like the things were stressful, but we were always laughing about, you know, funny situations. So I was just going to say, I never played the single player. I only played multiplayer with you, Tortuga. And I feel like I'd only play multiplayer with other people. And I think that's perfectly fine with that game. I had so much fun. So that's why it's on my list. It didn't make mine, but that's mostly because it didn't really consider that for the genre uh like it's it, i was really only considering war games strategy games stuff like that but I, I it's an easy recommend i i highly recommend it it does kind of epitomize that whole losing is fun mentality it, it is pretty fun to lose <laughs> i mean you don't feel it in the moment but then afterwards you're like rolling laughing about it exactly yep yeah the replayability of that game was extremely high i was impressed yeah i actually played that one too and it it was fun for what it is you know it's not a game i could sink like 
hundreds of hours into or anything, but when, what little I played of it, I enjoyed it. I have not played it, but I watched you guys playing it and it looked fun. Did they not invite you? No, no one ever invites me to play these things. It makes me wonder why I'm, uh, you know. Speaking of ICBM2, baby, we got to do it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Get backstabbed again. Get my destroyer sunk off the coast of Kamchatka or whatever, Sakhalin or whatever it was. One of my favorite gaming like memories. Anyway, off topic again, sorry. Well, that's all I have to say about Played Up. So Tortuga, did you have a, did you talk about your third? No, not yet. I have some wild picks for this last year. Um, I don't know how I even ended up deciding on this. I was probably just having a weird night. But number three for me is a game called Pegasus Expedition. And I really don't know if it's a great game. I like could only half-heartedly recommend it, and only for people... Um, so first of all, it's a 4X game that has a an interesting take that it's very narrative-driven. It's practically like playing a story, but also a 4X game. So... It, it tries to merge these. Generally, I would say 4X is the most sandbox, the least narrative-driven as a genre. So it's pretty interesting to see somebody try to do it. And I, I basically am just applauding the innovation of that game. You know, I mean, Steam ended up picking Starfield as the most innovative game, which is like the biggest joke I've ever seen. Yeah, that's kind of hilarious. Pegasus Expedition has a legitimate claim to maybe being innovative. I really don't think that I've seen a story-based 4X game. And, you know, it's like the 4X elements of it are like okay. So that's why I can't recommend it because just the, the gameplay itself is is not like hugely compelling. I feel like it's a lot of things that we've all seen before in 4X and probably a lot of things that different mechanics have been done better by different 4X games. But the fact that they have this uh, emphasis on the story was pretty cool. And I feel like if you enjoyed the story, you would get a lot out of the game. So that's my, um, my number three is a, a space 4X game. Did you say that you wouldn't really recommend it? Um, like half-heartedly, I guess it, it would only appeal... So p- for people who are interested in 4X games and who wanted to take a chance on a story-based 4X game, I would recommend it. For people who aren't interested in 4X games, I probably would not because I don't think it does... It's not going to be a great rec- um, a representative 4X game for them anyway. I would re- probably recommend people start with like Civ or something first. Our top threes, by the way. A game Tortuga won't recommend, and a game everybody was yelling at me for including Ultimate Admiral. Everyone should play Baldur's Gate 3, baby. Yeah, I mean, that's, the, that's a pretty solid number. If that's your number three? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, what about number two? What's your number two? My number two is, I mean, okay, this game did not come out last year. It has had a large DLC come out, so I'm pretty much including it that as it. But my number two, Call to Harms, Gates of Hell, Osfront. And then the expansion is Liberation. I've been really liking Call to Arms. It's been, honestly, probably one of my most played games of the year. So that's why it's in the number two slot. Uh, World War II RTS game. Kind of a spiritual successor, I guess, to Men of War. Which I never even played. So there is that too. But You just like calling Artie down onto churches. I Artillery is a lot of fun. I force finish here to play it. And... Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's good stuff. I I enjoy it. He's he's got a gun to my head like some Soviet commissar. <laughs> yeah, I, it it's like one of those games. Please do not send me over the top, comrade. <laughs> it's it's one of those games that's pretty stressful, but in a good way. 
Yeah, when you were saying you force finish to play it, I thought you were going to say you force his troops into the church and then you call artillery down on him. But <laughs> no, uh, that's I did see. I did see you called Artie in and you were like, walk. One of you was walking through your own artillery fire. That was all. That was all finish's fault, though. I thought the artillery was going to stop, and my guys just, you know, they ran right into it. And like multiplayer's fun in that game and relatively stable. And single the single player experience is great with their dynamic campaign. So. Can you not do the campaign with co-op? No, you can do that in co-op too. Okay. Like whenever I see people playing it, it seems like it is a great co-op game. Like one of those games, like you want to play with friends and you want to do something like this. This is a game to jump in. I've played it a little bit single player. It's fine. I like it. We should do some multiplayer. Let's do that. You know, invite me sometime. Okay. Okay. I will. Next time. Wolf and I are doing co-op uh, campaign, right? Yeah. We're doing the co-op campaign. Like they they have scripted missions that uh, go over like historical operations. And then you have the dynamic stuff where you kind of pick and choose your forces. Admittedly, I kind of like the dynamic stuff a little more, but the set pieces in the actual like handcrafted missions are are pretty cool anyway that's my number two thg what is your number two sir and my number two is a game i included because i just wanted to say i told you so to tortuga so at number two i've got ultimate general american revolution which is not a completed game by any means yet but effectively it's the newest ultimate general game in that series it's made by game labs it is a game that takes place in the american revolution where you, right now anyway, you can only play as the Americans. It starts in 1775. You build your armies. You manage them on a strategic map of, like, Massachusetts, New York, sort of the the northern uh, section of, of the American Revolution, like into Canada, too. And then you move your armies around. You try and take key objectives like Boston or Montreal or Quebec, you know, the main the main objectives of the war in 1775 and early 76. And then when armies collide, you, you fight a tactical battle on, on the tactical map. And, you know, this is on the list less because of where it is right now, but more because of what it... What? I don't understand. Like, I, I tried to pat my tongue and let you talk, but how is this on your list how is this it's in early access and i said it was going to come out this year and last year you were like there's no way it's coming out this year so you know what well it shouldn't have come out this year (laughs) it's not bad it's not great it's not bad and it's a number two game of the year i know right like what okay anyway yeah whatever you know mr tortuga i wouldn't even recommend my number three game on my list i'm wondering like can we check his mail does this guy on Game Labs payroll? You know, I had, I can't remember if it was my most anticipated list or my top five list, but someone said the same thing to me about my, my other list I made because like three of the five games were Slytherin games. And they're like, oh, this dude's on the Slytherin payroll. Slytherin chill! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I will say, I, I love the idea of the ultimate general American Revolution. That being said, I have not played much of Age of Sail. I played Civil War a lot and really liked it. Civil War's great. So the reason it's on them, just to be frank, the reason it's on my list is I think they nailed the strategic the strategic layer where you have to manage stuff on the strategic map and then armies move around and collide and fight. I think that is 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 pretty well done. I have some criticisms that I feel, and this is kind of true for all the Ultimate General games, except maybe Gettysburg, so I guess the only other Ultimate General, but it's true of Age of Sail, too. It's like, I don't think they get elevation great on their tactical battles in any of their games. Like, maps feel kind of flat, kind of in the same way that, like, I think Eugen Systems games elevation never really feels like it matters. So I think that's a little bit of a problem. 
and battles are a little repetitive at this point so i think they need to they need to add a, a maybe a bigger battlefield map or or not have units spawn so close to each other because there's not a great opportunity to maneuver but i really think the strategic map is is like the way that implementation is handled i think to me is very well done i think it you it could use some fine tuning but i really do think like I'm excited to see the way that's all going to be put together when it gets further along in, in early access because I was very nervous about how they were going to handle going from purely scripted strategic, you know, manage your army, but like every battle is on a on a list of battles and you just go down the list and fight the next battle, which is how their previous games all work, to an actual sort of dynamic campaign on us on a strategic map that's in pausable real time and i think they did a very good job of that so far so yes it is very early but the reason it's on this list is i think the building blocks are there and there's fine tuning that needs to occur but the building blocks are there and are pretty solid and and i think it'll it it, it shows me that there's going to be a very good game when this is done i think one quick question uh that throws me off with all games <laughs> labs games do you get copy strikes if you don't disable the music when you upload to YouTube for this particular uh, video game? Because every other game, like you have to turn off the music or you get copyright strikes because they don't license their... I don't know what the situation with that is, but it is... Yeah, the license they're purchasing isn't like... Which is fine. I put all my... I do all my music and post-editing anyway, so whatever. But I was just curious if that was still a thing. I don't know. I'll have to go back and double check. I, I kind of think I always have the music turned off now because that's what I'm used to with Game Lab games. But I don't remember there being a pop-up like with their other games where it's like, hey, content creators, make sure you disable the music or you'll get copyright strikes. So I'm not sure. There isn't a ton of music in the game right now. Like They've got some folks playing some wind instruments, but it's not like... It's like built into the sound effects of, of kind of the menu as opposed to this is a score of 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 a of a soundtrack type deal i see cool beans so i mean you may you may disagree with me here tortuga but i do think there's valid reasons to put it on this list at number two no i agree with you i think it's i mean i'm not sure if it would make my top three i didn't play it yet so it's hard to say with early access games you know when do you put them out because basically the whole release cycle is totally effed nowadays you know like what does it mean for a game to be released versus released early access it means so wildly different things for different games yeah and i don't want to we can we can move on but i do want to say i will i will add one caveat or one one piece to what you just said is that i feel like with game lab games a lot of times you can tell if it's if it's going to be a problematic early access game naval action you could tell like this thing is what is going on here ultimate admiral dreadnoughts even though it's on my list but like when it first came to early access it was like what the heck is this right like it's, it was all just like scenarios and the campaign like when it came out it was like this doesn't even like it's not even reflective of what the final campaign is going to be to me this is reflective of what the final campaign is going to be along with polishing it needs to be more needs to be added to it the the core of the system is here and it seems to work well that that's my opinion so that's why i'm i'm optimistic about this one in a way that i haven't been on on the last the last couple of games but anyway moving on finish what's your number two my number two is suzerain so i really like this game i think i really like the story um and the different paths you could take if you play the game multiple times i really enjoyed kind of the 
world building and the in-game lore and how that was presented and how it was important to the story. The the game had like those that in-game fact book and it was interesting just to read, you know, you learn more about your nation and the other nations. So it felt like a realistic world. They added so much that they didn't need to add, I think, to the lore of that. So I, I, I yes, I, I would agree. I would agree because I think the game was lacking on like decisions for your national policies or like the foreign policy. Like, because there was information about cities and other nations that you never really had any impact with. The game would have been better if you had more decisions to make as president. Well, what I was what I was trying to say is, and that's not I'm not saying that as a dig. I'm saying I think you're right. They, there's a there's a really strong sense of lore to this game, and I think it's because they added so much that was like not always directly relevant to what you were doing, right? Like the, it felt like a real world because there was so much outside of just your narrow window, which I think a lot of strategy games sometimes struggle with. And the fact that they added all this, it feels it feels like a bigger world than just your your little kingdom that you're directly interacting with and i this is a great game i i i love that it's on this list the the writing and the storytelling of this game is just so brilliant and it, it is far more immersive i think than you would get just watching a stream i think it's one of those games like when you play it you're like whoa watching a stream i could you, i could see you being like and I think you were, you said that, I don't know, like, I don't know if these kind of games are, are you know, for you or, or maybe they just don't show great on stream, but it kind of feels like, all right, I'm watching someone read and, and, and click buttons. And, you know, when you, when you play it, the, I think the storytelling and the writing is so well done that it really draws you in. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree. Yeah. I, when I watched you play, I wasn't really hooked, um, but playing the game myself, you know, I was, I have the ability to make my own decisions, right? So I can drive the story and my decisions is the way I want to. So, yeah, I think that really hooked me into that game. Other things I liked about the game, um, visually, I really liked how the map looked. It was kind of like that atlas kind of look. I liked the color palette and the just the way that the map was presented. And then just like mentioned before, I like I liked the replayability. I played two, I guess I've only played two playthroughs, um, but they've been different both times. And... You can tell where there's some similarities with the path. Like, there's only a certain number of outcomes that will happen, so that's slightly disappointing. But overall, you do have a lot of you know, different outcomes in the game. I don't know if that's changed with some of the updates, but when we I, we did an interview with the developer, I think it was for Single Malt Strategy years ago when it first, because it came out in 2020. And I remember him saying initially anyway, like, the, the way they designed the game was like, you should play this twice. Like, they didn't, they knew it wasn't the kind of game that you're going to play, like, 30 times right it's going to get repetitive eventually but they felt like there was enough in there that you could really experience the game the way they were hoping you would experience it two or three times based on on the content so i I think you're right i've only played it a full playthrough two times but it it is i could talk about this for an hour so i i don't mean to sabotage your your section this is just a game i'm glad it was on your list because i love i love this game yeah, I really didn't really enjoyed it. I think, like I also mentioned, I wish that there was more decisions that you could make as president to make it seem like you were having an impact on the country. And I know that wasn't really the the outcome of the story because it's a very it's a story driven you know management country management game. I know they're coming out with I guess another DLC and it's probably going to be the same, but it would be nice if you had more impact on your country's day to day like policy and and foreign policy decisions. 
Yeah, it's it's basically a visual novel, right? Like, despite all the graphs and things they show you, like, it's effectively, it's a visual, a choose-your-own-adventure visual novel, as opposed to, like, I'm not going to have free reign to do these sliders here to see how I could optimize the economy, right? But I think in that sense, it's probably more realistic. How many decisions, the president isn't in there like, we're going to tweak this this way and tweak it this way, right? Like, most presidents in a modern world, they things come up and they've got a couple of choices that they're sort of presented as options with. And they have to choose between that they're, you know, outside of maybe two or three really key pieces to their, their agenda. They're not, they're not crafting super unique responses to everything that comes out. So I do think there's a level of authenticity to that. That's just the way that like leadership works, right? A lot of times leaders are presented with options and you're, you choose between them. You don't invent all the options. Yeah, I, I, going through the game, I was like, I wanted to make more budget decisions. You know, I wanted to make more infrastructure building decisions. I wanted to like, you know, call up my a neighbor or whatever and of a neighboring country and have like a diplomatic dialogue. And I know that's, you know, that's not what the game is really focused on. But I think you could probably combine that with the story to improve the game. But it's definitely a very strong number two. It did feel like the foreign policy stuff it gets there's more of it at the end but it did feel like hey this felt almost more like i'm a governor than i am like a a president right like there weren't a lot of options to call up your neighbor and be like hey i need your help on whatever Mm -hmm. apparently rizzio which is the dlc is going to lean much more into foreign policy than domestic which will should be interesting you're in rizzio you're basically going to be like i don't know if you're really saudi arabia but you're basically you're a monarchy in an oil rich state so you know take that for what it is um which i think is a very different type of story and i I'm really excited to see what they do with that. Yeah. Well, that's all I got. Who's next? Tortuga, you're number two. What's up? All right. My number two is, I'm doing a little curveball here. I, I mixed mine up. I, I just listened to you guys talk. I decided to switch my order. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> number two is going to be Great War Western Front. Honestly, it was probably my number one standalone game, but I'll, I'll explain why it's not my number one when we get to the number one stuff. But it's a great game. I think everybody's, I, I just, I want to speak for everyone here. I want to say that probably everyone thought it was a good game. Everyone in the world or everyone on the podcast? I enjoyed it, what I played. This this podcast member did not play the game, but enjoyed watching people stream it. It, it wasn't as, um, I guess, realistic as I kind of hoped it would be, but it, it was still fun. See, I always thought that the, the grind, the way that every battle was like the same, and that how that was really tedious, very well encapsulated what World War I was. Sure. <laughs> that's kind of a backhanded maybe backhanded i should play compliment. it more <laughs> yeah i guess the ai was kind of silly too yeah no it from what i played but i don't i don't know if that's you know been changed or what i need to get back to it because they have released a series of patches that are based on when i read the patch notes i'm like wow that feels like that would change a lot but i haven't played it in a while so i don't i don't know how real that is i i this was you just wanted to preempt me because this was my number one. But th- I think this is a, a really good game. I will say I think it fits better in the 1915 to 1916 sort of technology period, I think, or and maybe a little bit late war. I don't think it does a very good job of modeling like 1918 you know, the way that the war unfolded, it's certainly, you know, and I, the biggest criticism I would have is that it feels a little too modern. Like some things are a little too easy from an artillery point of view. It'd be interesting if you could only do pre-planned bombardments and you had to pick where to bombard at that point. It's a little too easy to just be like, use modern tactics or like, I'm going to send a small group forward. They're going to look and find where the machine gun nest is. 
Now, when I see the machine gun nest, I'm going to pinpoint artillery right on top of that machine gun nest and suppress it or destroy it, depending on the type of barrage I call in for, you know, to, to pin them down from an next attack. That feels like that feels Vietnam-esque more than it does World War One. And not only that, but like the AI, I felt like we already talked about it. It's failing was you, I feel like you could learn how to play the game right. And then you knew the best way to play. And then it kind of like exactly what you're describing the gameplay kind of uh, was mired in like this repetitive loop because you figured out how to beat the AI and then you just did the same thing over and over again. Okay, move my troops off to the side, go up and flank, use artillery, attack. Things I really, really liked about it, though, one thing I don't think I hear a lot of people talking about, it, it's a game with a strategic map, right? Like you've got a strategic map of the Western Front and then you go and you fight battles on the tactical map. I love the way that the resources are limited there. In order to commit to an offensive, you need to have supplies available to commit to that offensive. Supplies are generated on the global map and then distributed out to the the tactical battlefields. Um, Every unit sort of carries a little bit of their own, but then like, if you really want to commit an offensive in a region, you need to have global supplies coming in to support that. And this is a game that I think does a better job than any other game I've ever seen where, hey, you don't have infinite resources and you have to spend time building up supplies so that you can support an offensive and you can only support that offensive for so many turns before you kind of got to take a step back and wait for a while before you can actually do that again. Now that that kind of gets a little bit nerfed later in the game as you unlock technology that gives you more stuff. At least initially, it really did feel authentic where it's like, I've got to plan out where I want to attack ahead of when I want to attack there. I've got to spend time to do that. You know, while the war's still going on, the AI could launch spoiling attacks that consume some of my supplies in other regions. I mean, don't you find that's also one of its failings, though, is that, you know, it, it becomes very grindy because of exactly this. You can't really push in the same area multiple times, and it takes multiple attacks on a different territory in order to for it to swap hands. Um, now, it, during the one turn that you can't do the offensive, perhaps if you didn't plan well enough, that resets the, the timer on your... Yeah, I mean, it just takes the game, the game grinds on even longer. My complaints are more that, one, I, I wish the map was more dynamic in terms of when you fight a battle multiple times in a region. It would be really cool if you saw the scars of the battle. You, you don't, they kind of disappear, and then it's just a generic, like, hey, this battle battlefield is destroyed, right? Like, trenches remain, but other stuff doesn't. I understand from a game design perspective why that would probably be very hard, but it is a little disappointing. But then on the strategic map, what you're talking about, I like the concept behind like each unit has a certain number of stars and you've got to reduce it all the way before you can take a region. Like, I think that is, in theory, probably not a bad way to handle World War One not being a blitzkrieg where you can't just hit one hex and then hit the hex behind it and then hit the hex behind it because that's not how the war was fought. I do think it does get a little repetitive. I think maybe they just they could solve that by nerfing the, the regions a bit instead of making regions four stars. You could make a region with four stars, two stars, and probably have go have the same vibe to how quickly the front line moves. Like, I think there's ways to solve that. But yeah, I do think that's a little bit of a limitation. I still really love the way that the supplies are allocated, but I do think the strategic layer does have some flaws. So this is Tortuga's second game of the year or game of 2023. What are your positives? I feel like we are only hearing negatives. And so I think that it actually encapsulated World War One pretty well. We don't have a lot of World War One games, especially... This is like kind of like Company of Heroes. It's like Company of Heroes for World War One. You know, I, I I kind of enjoy even just you know taking your super tank, get your tank early on, and then just drive it over trenches. And the gameplay is really fun. I think it's fun. I it is a game. I was. It's a game like War in the Pacific 
And what I mean by that is it is a game that if you really look at the systems, you can exploit it and you can break it and, and you can play the game in a way that I don't think it's intended to be played. I think it's a really good game. If you don't do that, if you understand like what the experience that's being driven at and you just embrace the embrace the suck of World War One and try to experience it in in that way. And I think that, like I, I said previously, right, the strategic element of of building up supplies, like I've never seen anyone do that in a way that I think works. And I think this game does that. I think the ability to, you know, the 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 slog of trench warfare and how those battles can unfold is really well done. The AI needs some work. Like this is not a flawless game. I don't think any game is flawless finish, but I do think this this is a really good game. It is visually satisfying. It has limitations, but it is it is a game that is definitely worth playing, and I think it is a standout game of 2023. Whether you want to quibble about it, should it be one, should it be two, you know, I think it is it is a great game that I had a lot of fun with, warts and all. You caught me flat-footed, Finish, but uh, I think I, I remembered one thing that I found really compelling about the game. Um, I really like the way they do tech progression. So you, you have a very few points... And you kind of have to choose which way you want to go. Do you want to push towards tanks or push uh, push towards artillery? And I found that this worked really well. I was excited to try to get to the next thing. I think it was a meaningful choice between... I mean, probably there's an optimal. Uh, this game is one of those that I think you can min-max pretty well. But, you know, moving... Do I want to get aircraft to, do, to have bombers drop bombs on the enemy lines? Do I want to have better artillery? Do I want to push towards tanks? And all those things, as you get higher up the tech tree they are very powerful so i found that that was really cool and it was exciting to push towards the different techs just to be able to play with them and that none of them were super disappointing where it wasn't like i unlocked tanks and i was like oh these suck that was terrible i wasted my time each one of them was pretty rewarding so that was fun i mean we were we were going to try and do an episode on this multiple times um and it just kept getting rescheduled but like I think tech tech's a great example of I also feel like it captured the elements of World War One, right? Like world it starts off there's barely any trenches, the trenches suck, you you don't have good lines of visibility onto the other side, like in nineteen fourteen, you don't have great observation balloons, you don't have all these other things. And then as the tech evolves, it's like, oh well now I can assault better because I've I can advance behind a rolling barrage, which is something that effectively was developed during during the war as like a tactic to getting through trenches. But now the trenches as tech gets up, your trenches become much more robust and much more indicative of what you think of when you think of World War World War One. And those trenches stay on the map. So those those carry over battle to battle and so tech is a great place where i think it stands out as being a very well done game we could spend a two-hour episode on this game just by itself i think does that bring us back around to wolf for your your number one i guess yeah my number one uh it officially released a little while ago it's kind of rough around the edges as a small game but my number one is destroyer the u-boat hunter which uh, is a game that lets you command a destroyer hunting U-boats in the Atlantic. And that's pretty much all you do, and it does it rather well, in my opinion. I don't know if any of y'all have played it. Yeah, they sponsored me to, to do some videos, so I'm obligated to say it is a good game. Okay, well, you don't have to say that, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> <I watched> that. <laughs> Thank you for money, brand. 
<laughs> okay, uh, and that's not the reason I'm saying I like. I actually do like it. I'm glad we're getting this perspective of the Battle of the Atlantic, even though it is a Fletcher class destroyer. But that allows them to maybe expand into the Pacific and do and flush it out a bit more. So I enjoyed it too. I'm I'm just giving giving you shit. It was it was fun. It's a fun tactical exercise. I I like it. It's it's a di- it can be a little challenging, like to try and do the math of like yeah, <laughs> you know, because I think it does a good job of simulating what all right you got a detection of a submarine what does that like what does that mean in terms of how should i approach it where is it relative to the to my ship relative to the convoy like is it a threat there Mm -hmm. is there another contact that's a bigger threat as you start getting closer in like you don't just it's not like you can just go directly over the top of the sub and drop your depth charges like you're gonna miss every time if you do that it is it is a challenging game too i think it, it it speaks to a lot of a lot of the the math and the challenges behind anti-submarine warfare in World War II, you know, in kind of in in a similar vein, although not really the same as something like like Silent Hunter does. Yeah, I it, like you said, it is difficult. They did add quite a few assists. They added a career mode. It's I, admittedly the career mode's rough around the edges. The a lot of the cutscenes, like they use AI text generated stuff, so that kind of takes me out of it. But the core gameplay, I I love so that. It's probably not going to be everybody's number one, but I'm just happy to see something like this released. So, Tom Hanks Simulator. Pretty much. Yep. Yeah, Wolf, watching your current series, I think I was surprised at the stuff that they have added with the, the career campaign and then some of the features in that campaign. I I guess I've only was used to watching your you play the little demo, which was just the mm-hmm. short missions, but I guess it's nice to see it is coming along nicely. Yeah, the missions are persistent now, so you lose ships as you this convoy goes along, and those ships stay lost until you reach your destination or whatever. A lot of people were wishing that there was like more of a dynamic campaign like Silent Hunter, where you would just sit on your destroyer and watch the time go by, but uh, I, I think people... I don't think people realize how boring that would be. Um, Like this puts you in the engagements. You hop in whenever you get a contact and you just have the actual traveling in your head. Like you just imagine it instead of just sitting and looking at a map on a projected route that you didn't even make yourself. That would be an interesting game design experiment because I think you're right. And I think the reason it works for Silent Hunter and it doesn't for Destroyer or, or I don't think it would for Destroyer. Is because Silent Hunter, you're the attacker. You're you are the one on the. Mm-hmm. You're driving all the initiative, right? Like, so your can what you do, where you decide to kind of sit out and and hopefully interdict a convoy. Like, that's all your decision. You're also the hunted too. So, like, there's all these things outside the convoy that are coming for you, that are trying to find you and trying to stop you. Whereas, like, as a destroyer... You're defensive. You're shepherd. Yeah, you're, fo- you're, you're following a scripted path. Yeah. And if you run into something along that path, then something will happen. And if you don't, then nothing will happen. And you can't deviate from that path. And there's nothing, like, there's no... There's nothing else out there really coming for you. They're coming for the, the, the other ships and the convoy, and they might try to attack you, but it's kind of like... It's like building a game where you're, you're driving over a speed bump as the action, as opposed to, like, Silent Hunters, like, you're building the road. Yeah, exactly. Completely agreed. And, uh, I mean, it could work if it was, like, a hunter-killer simulator where you control, like, a hunter-killer group, which would be cool, but that's not what the game is. So, I think how they did it is fine. It works. I'm okay with it. I'm glad the developers, like, didn't bite off more than they can chew. 
like it's refreshing to see a game with limited scope release and them do pretty much what they said they were going to and not promising the moon i agree yeah yeah good point that's that uh it could be polished up of course if they want some voice acting, I'll do it. But because uh, <laughs> some of the AI text-to-speech stuff, some of it's really good today, and then some of it's so-so. So, yep, that's it. That's my number one. THG. Let's keep this thing a-moving. Tortuga already got my number one, so... Oh, it was the Great War? I can add one, I, I, and, you know, I won't talk too much about this. No, that's all right. We can move on. That's fine. Grand Tactician. Whiskey and Lemons. Play it. Oh boy, really? Yeah. Was that your number one? I mean, no, my number one was the Great War, but I would it wasn't on this list, and it's because it's a DLC. But I heard that DLC was kind of rough. Everything with Grand Tactician when it has come out has been rough, and then they have polished it to get better over time. I think it is it is really fun to play as an individual within the Civil War rather than as the Supreme Commander and be like, hey, you only command a regiment, you only command a brigade. I love the role-playing elements that they build into it of like, it's about you progressing your career, not you being Abraham Lincoln and Ulysses S. Grant at the same time and controlling everything. It's definitely worth checking out. No, I love that. I love that aspect of it as well. Uh, Just commanding a single guy. I mean, that's kind of why I like the IL-2 career as opposed to like, you know, you have Falcon where you control the whole battle, but I like just being my dude. Exactly. I love, that's the same reason I love playing call of duty. I'm just one guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's why I play that's Fortnite. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, oh boy. <laughs> Finishes number one. He leaked it early. <laughs> <laughs> number one game of the year. Fortnite. What, what about you finish? What is your number one? My number one game of the year, um, will be a shock to at least one person. And it's, it's going to be Gates of Hell Ostfront. Let's go! Even after Wolf said he's forced me to play it, I have ranked it as my top game of 2023. Starting with the positives, I think the game had a ton of cool units. It's got a ton of, like, it's got the fins, so, you know, got to give it bonus points for that. This guy doesn't even like playing as the fins, though, so... Yeah, they got a bunch of crap, to be honest. And uh, <laughs> just get this secondhand... They have to go to, like, the secondhand store, like, good... What is it, like, the good... Walgreens? What's the what's the secondhand store? Goodwill? Called? Goodwill, yeah. Goodwill. <laughs> the the German Goodwill. The German Goodwill. Uh, and captured Soviet crap, but anyway... Is this some Stockholm Syndrome stuff going on here? Like, he's just forced you to play it so much, you're just like, this is a good game. I think so. I really like the dynamic campaign a lot. Um, a lot more than the scripted campaigns, the scripted missions. The scripted missions have been very frustrating. I will admit that. Maybe because I'm just bad at the game. But the dynamic campaign is fun. Because you have the chance to attack and then defend, and I like kind of that back and forth. I like the... Having more options to defend compared to like the scripted campaign missions, there's a whole lot of attacking in those. So I like you know defending. Well, and admittedly, I I do want to mention we are playing as the Americans in the scripted campaign, so it makes sense there would be a whole lot of attacking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as we push through Europe, I do think the maybe the German campaign will be more defensive, although I do think it does. Um, let's watch on the Rhine stuff so i don't know we'll see we'll see whenever we hop into it two other positives i like for this game was the the first person mode really adds a different element to kind of your rts that i don't think we see anywhere else so i i enjoy driving around in a tank and or taking command of a single guy and and shooting 
And lastly, I do like the damage model for like the units and stuff. I think when you play against the AI like infantry, they're a little bit too beefy. Like they'll take too many rounds compared to your guys, and it's probably just do like a difficulty scaling thing. But I do like the damage model for for tanks. I think that it's pretty realistic. And thinking to games like Steel Division of kind of realism with with tank vehicle damage. Overall, yeah, I think it's a pretty solid game. I like it. One of the things I would like more, which is I guess a quality of life improvement from Steel Division was kind of like that line of sight tool. I would love to be able to see what units can see on the map. Where can my guys see? Where can the enemy units see? You know, like where where's the cover? You have so much control over the camera angles and stuff that you can kind of get down and see where the hills and stuff are. But I'd love to you know just zoom out and just see kind of the line of sight tool that Steel Division has. I can see where the hills are and you know where the hedgerows are and stuff like that. So. The game, I think, really needs that, but otherwise, just minor improvements here and there. Pretty solid game. That's my number one. By the way, Reddit Reddit does not says Germany doesn't really have an equivalent of Goodwill. They have they have a few organized flea, not flea markets, I guess is what they're saying, and a few thrift shops. But like, sounds like they export a lot of their secondhand stuff to other countries, which I guess maybe Finland. We're talking Germany 1943, you know. They were just handing all their Romanians and Hungarian allies trash weapons and then cry about it whenever the Russians come blitzing across. Like, it's your VM. Maybe you should have given them some better weapons, big guy. (laughs) Maybe they shouldn't have joined the Nazis. (laughs) Yeah, that's a fair (laughs) point. Yeah, that's... (laughs) Yeah, can't can't, uh, really finish getting all political in here. on my yeah on my uh, shelf on my bookshelf i have a uh, finnish world war ii helmet but it's german made so it's cut that cut that cut that all right tortuga you're up what's your you just changed your list mid podcast oh yeah well i i wanted to i just at the last minute i decided i really wanted to honor my new favorite publisher hooded horse so i decided to put Against the Storm, number one. They also released Xenonauts 2, which I didn't play, but I think it's, like, in decent shape. But anyway, I just... I've been, like, really enjoying all the titles that Hooded Horse has released lately. Against the Storm is... uh, It's actually a colony builder type thing. It's it's a little bit reminiscent of the old impression games, like Caesar 3 and Pharaoh and all that. Yeah, you have to build up, you know, your city in in the right way and... But it, it's it's very roguelike, so it's very it's hard to explain the mechanics. Finish. I don't know. You've watched a couple streams of it. If you can even jump in and help, because I I don't know how to describe it well. But it's basically a colony builder where you expand your city and get resources, and you're on a timer. There's uh, something called like the Queen's Impatience or something like that, and it just slowly ticks up. And if it gets to maximum, you lose. There's ways to bring it down, and then you're just completing objectives on each little map, which uh, build up her, I don't know, her favor or whatever it is. And you get if you get her favor to max, you win the mission. But it's it's a lot of fun. I don't know if it's a lot of fun to watch, but it's a lot. It's very addictive. Um, the first time I played it, I typically go to bed around 11:30 or midnight, and uh, I need to get up at like 5:30 or 6. I played until like. 1 30 in the morning so it has that kind of thing going for it yeah, i think it just as a viewer of this game i think it's got an interesting strategy element of when when you can expand and where you can expand and like when you have to expand 
then you have to fight that boss, I guess, to get in, in certain areas of the map, right, to get to get better resources or whatever. I think there's definitely like a little strategy element to that colonization and expansion that I think is intriguing. And then also, I say the, you, I guess you have different species in your colony, right? So they offer different kind of bonuses or different kind of, I don't know, skills. Or different kind of food that you're supposed to supply for them. And the roguelike nature of the game is really cool from the perspective that like, I prefer to do the farming thing to get wheat and to make biscuits or whatever, which the beavers like. There's beavers, humans, harpies, you know, this kind of a random collection of, oh, and like, what is it, crocodiles? Out No, dinosaurs? <laughs> Dinosaur, yeah, lizards or something, and then you get your plain old humans. It's an inspired choice, I would say, artistically, or like the, the feel of the game is very different than anything I've seen before. It's not like your typical fantasy setting where you got like orcs and elves or something like that, but it has that kind of fantasy feel to it. But yeah, yeah, they have the different uh, creatures have different provide different bonuses, also demand different foods. So the uh, if you're on a map where you just don't get any wheat, then you have to figure out a new way to provide for all the different people what your what your food source is going to be, which just forces you. Like in a lot of games, you figure out the best strategy and then you just keep doing it map after map. But the the way the resources are very randomized, you end up frequently with maps which will force you to play a strategy you wouldn't have played otherwise. And that ends up being fun, too, because the, the game's done well. So it's a, I, I would say this is a, an easy recommend for people who enjoy that kind of Banished or Caesar 3 type, type games. Good stuff. Well, um, I think we should go for our honorable mentions now, if anybody has any that they want to kind of list off. One of mine, I, uh, well... Uh, we'll just go back in the circle. We'll stick with you, Wolf. You want to mention any other titles that you were thinking about considering, like putting on the list, but they didn't quite make it? Uh, no. I mean, they're the only other games I've been. I mean, I'm excited about is Postscriptum uh, being revived. That's an honorable mention. I love that game as a first-person shooter, and uh, it's kind of making a comeback. Under it's been rebranded. It was purchased by their publisher, so it's now called Squad Forty Four. Anyway, it's by far my favorite first-person shooter, and I'm happy to see that back. And I've talked about this other game quite a bit, but uh, Warhammer 40,000 Darktide has been my just chill, relaxing game. Just go in and kill stuff. It's like, uh, I mean, you played Vermintide, I, I believe, Tortuga. So, I mean, it's that, but 40k, they've done quite a bit. They've added skill trees and stuff to kind of flesh out the experience, so... Just to, for people who aren't familiar with that game, I mean, it almost, it's it's this, like, four-person co-op. I don't know, just hack and slash. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, horde fighting. Yeah. Yeah, and you're fighting in the 40K universe, which I like already a lot. I am kind of a 40K nerd, so. For me, it's it's reminiscent of, uh, which is a very old title at this point, Left for Dead. Yeah, yeah, very similar to that. That's where a lot of the tied games get their inspiration from, so. And going on to THG. Um, I, I'd say Grand Tactician would have been the one that stood out. We kind of already talked about that. I, I think the Unity of Command DLCs that have been coming out have also, um, Unity of Command 2 DLCs that have been coming out have been, continue to be very, very good and worth taking a look at. And maybe other games that, like, maybe they're on a future list, but I haven't had a chance to play them yet, but I know they're, they're games of note. Uh, Terra Invicta, definitely. And I'm excited to see what's going on with Gunner Heat PC. Like, oh yeah, jeez. 
I played that a lot when it first entered early access. It seems like they're making some good progress. Oh, absolutely. Maybe this is more for like 2024, but like I'm excited to see where it goes in 2024. Yeah, I mean, they've added, um, they've kind of teased the T64. It's an AI asset, and they've added like smoke launchers and all sorts of stuff. Air support's getting flushed out. You know, it's not like a super high fidelity sim where it gets like, Correct me if you think I'm wrong, uh, Wolf, but I don't think it rises to, like, DCS level when it comes to, like, simming. No, it's not like Steel Beast, I guess, would be. Yeah, it's approachable. It's sim light. You hop in, they model all the optics appropriately, but you're not in there flipping switches and crap. But that being said, the smoke is the example. Different countries used smoke differently and they do model i believe they model that based on what i saw in the patch notes right like oh yeah the way that the the russians deploy their or the the eastern Bloc deploy their smoke is different than the way that the you know the the abrams or or the americans will deploy their smoke so like there's there's a level of authentic authenticity despite it not being you can flip every switch in the tank it zooms out a little bit from that sort of fidelity it 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 it's detailed in a different way, and in my opinion, a much more a way that makes the world feel much more alive. Yeah, that's all I got. I guess if I I don't know if I have an honorable mention, um, a game that I guess I I like a lot, but I didn't I guess play a whole lot in 2023 was probably IL2 Tank Crew. Mm-hmm. I love playing that game. I, I mean, the multiplayer is just so much fun. You know, the the tanks are so much fun. The damage model is so much fun. It's all realistic. Just love the realism. It's just a shame that that multiplayer scene is, you know, almost non-existent. If if we have any sort of, if we have any sort of, uh, you know, because we're talking about gunner, gunner heat PC, and that's definitely like a cold war. If there is someone else, you know, wants to make a IL two tank crew kind of standalone deal that's realistic like that, I will play it. Well, there is there is a game called literally called like Tank Squad, and they had a demo, and it was uh questionable yeah i think you sent this to me yeah but the the visions there like i can see it kind of being fleshed out and looking being better eventually it says planned release date is q1 2024 i don't know based on what i played in the demo i don't know how realistic that launch date is yep that's my only honorable mention at tortuga you're up you had a list multiple things i mean i wrote down a lot of different games but i'll just honorably mention a few of them one that probably I really wanted to squeeze in my top three was Dune Spice Wars. It's the Dune version, you know, the sci-fi universe of Dune uh, version of what was the previously North Northland or there was I forget what the predecessor was for this. It's the same people who did like was it Northgard? Northgard, yes, thank you. Yeah, so it's the it's the next game after Northgard. It's very similar in in play style, but it's in the Dune universe. I thought it was done very well. Um, I really enjoy it. For people who enjoy, I don't know, Northgard type things and or are interested in the Dune universe, it's it's nice to see a return for a game to the Dune universe. That was wow. Northgard is forty four thousand reviews. Oh wow! How, I wonder how many Dune Spice Wars has because I think it was still eight thousand. I'm glad because uh, I know that they were kind of bummed out. They were trying to time their release for the second Dune movie, and then the Dune movie got <laughs> delayed. I remember playing Dune Spice Wars a bit, and I thought it was like, I'm not like huge into the Dune universe, but I remember playing, and I was like, hey, this is this is pretty good. It's like, this this seems like an interesting and enjoyable game. I think that's a very well, that's like well put. It's a great way of describing it. It's a It's just a fun game, and especially if you 
are interested in the Dune universe. It's uh, will be even more appealing. Uh, let me also mention that Age of Wonders four came out. I did not play this one. I think it's a very so anybody who's familiar with the Age of Wonders series. God, what's the uh, how do you even describe this? It's a fantasy. 4x type game but it has the tactical combat how to describe it it's like a civ type game but it has tactical combat where you cast spells and such and actually have to move around so that's another honorable mention and last sorry but let me sneak in also shadow empires oceania dlc released i didn't just think shadow empire is such a good game that it deserves to be mentioned that that was released although they, you know they're to, to like ha- kind of had mixed reviews people had different thoughts about how the the naval force stuff was done since it was abstracted. You weren't actually controlling fleets. Uh, it turns out, I mean, at least somebody has mentioned that this was actually uh, because I had a conversation. We, I think it was you as well, Matt, that we had a conversation with um, Vic about naval combat and how turn-based naval combat is always done so poorly, which I still agree with. So he took that, and that he, it was the inspiration for him not to have fleet control in Shadow Empire. So he abstracted it. Wait, we influenced him? I I don't know. I mean, if you believe the rumors, yes. We've made it! We have done... And everyone hated that, of course, so we're the... <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh <yeah>. no. <laughs> oh, it's our head on the choppy block. <laughs> so, are you sure that's not just, you know, the, their company was like, well, you know... We just we just listened to the to the podcast and they said that this was what we should do. So it's not our fault. I mean, Vic was on actually. We talked with him directly, and that's I, true. And at least I I've mentioned this to him before. But no, I, th- I think that people are coming around to the to, to actually the way he did it. So it wasn't a huge success on release, but I think people are now seeing the merits of it. Honorable mention Shadow Empire as well with their DLC release, just because that's such a great game. It deserves many mentions. You know, on Ultimate Admiral Dreadnoughts was on my potential list for because I also saw that it was released. It's you know, it's not a bad game, but it's coming around. Give it two years, and you're gonna. This is gonna be the core to your channel. <laughs> two years. When's the last time you played it? Ah, it's a long, long time. I was so soured on the development. This is probably a topic for another day, but I do feel like it's interesting how your initial experience of the game, and this is such a problem with early access can completely corrupt your ability to enjoy a game later on and prevent you from ever really wanting to go back to a game. And a lot of times games change a lot in early access, but that initial experience you have is so powerful or those initial disappointed expectations are so powerful that I think a lot of games fail because, because maybe they come out too early, even in early access. Well, drawing on the, this is a tangent, which another, again, we'll add that to the upcoming episode about this, but even Star Citizen, I feel, is like this. Like, it's probably an okay game at this point that if, like, today, suddenly, they just released a new game that nobody had ever heard of called Star Citizen in its current state, people would be like, oh, yeah, this is good. But the development has so soured people to that game that, you know, nobody even wants to... But, yeah, I mean, you can never escape the baggage that comes with what Star Citizen the name means. Anyway. All right, gamers. I guess that, that'll wrap up episode 82 and our look at... 2023 we'll have to come back uh for episode 83 looking at 2024 and what we're all excited about uh this year Uh, but i hope you guys all enjoyed this episode thanks again for tuning in to the single malt strategy podcast once again feel free if you do enjoy these to leave reviews on spotify apple wherever you get your podcasts 
Smash that like button, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Smash it. <laughs> or, uh, or, you know, give us five stars. Cause I don't, I don't think Apple has a like button. I think you give like a star rating, right? You know, so don't do one star. Remember more stars is good. And, uh, and you know, if you want to rant at us in our comments on YouTube, you can do that too. Uh, but thanks everybody to my, uh, to my trusty co-host for coming on yet another episode of the single malt strategy. And as always until next time, we're out. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.